If you're watching online this morning, uh, welcome to you as well. And I want to encourage you today, if you're watching online, maybe for the first time ever, uh, just to, if you're watching live, to introduce yourself in the chat. If you're familiar with that function, just say hi, give people your name, let people know uh, that you're there so they can greet you as well. And it would be great uh, to have the chance to, uh, to get to know you a little bit better also. Uh, one of the joys of the summer months was listening to your stories of reunions, that you got to see friends or family or people that you care about that you had not seen in a long time, and you got to spend some time with them. So raise your hand this morning if this summer afforded you the opportunity to see family or friends you had not seen in a while. Yes, yes. And wasn't it good? It was so good, and I just loved hearing your stories about people that you'd seen and all the stories about the time that you spent together and how rich and rewarding and wonderful that it was. Uh, my family got to spend some time together as well this summer. Here we are. This is the, uh, the Nylon Gang, uh, 24 of us. We met in northern Quebec for seven days under one roof, 24 of us. Uh, and you can see that, see that we're still smiling um, at the end of the week. But it was just wonderful to get to be together. And in our, for our family, it had been 11 years since we had all been together. And so it was very significant and just a kind of a wonderful opportunity for all of us uh, to share some kind of uninterrupted time together. Because these reunions are so, so sweet. Now, I know for some of you, you've discovered, too, that as you've spent time together with family and friends that you've not seen in a long time, that as much anticipation as you had of this moment, that you discovered that when you were together, some of the people, you know, it got some of the time together, some of the reunion was complicated. That the people who were kind of a little bit annoying before, they were still annoying. And as you spent time with him, he said, oh yeah, I forgot about this. Uh, and this was kind of a reminder to you. And maybe even in this season, you would say, your capacity to handle frustrations and annoying people is maybe at an all-time low. And so those two things factoring together meant that when you got together with, in these reunions, it was a little complicated. Well, the passage that we're going to look at today is about a reunion that was complicated. There was some tension. It's a reunion to two, between two people who'd spend a number of years together, day in and day out, spending time together. And then there was a decisive event, and they were separated for a very short period of time. And then they were reunited. And in, when they were reunited, that time was complicated. It's a reunion between Jesus and the disciple Thomas. Now, I know that some of you, if you've grown up in church, um, would know that Thomas has a nickname. If I say to you, Thomas the disciple, you say he was known as a, as a doubter. I don't think that's fair. And today I hope that in, at the end of this time together, you'll think maybe that wasn't fair to give him that nickname based on part of one conversation. I recognize Thomas is not the most familiar disciple of all the disciples, so let me give you a little bit of a reminder about kind of his story uh, before uh, to set the context for the passage we're going to look at today. Uh, first of all, like all the disciples, and while the scriptures don't capture it, Jesus came to Thomas and asked him to follow him. And Thomas, in a great act of faith, said yes. 
and he became one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry faithfully that he went with him day in and day out and was a part of the community of people that were following Jesus and carrying out his ministry. So this um, is kind of where his faith started. A little bit later in John chapter 11, we discover an encounter where Jesus and his disciples are ministering in a community and they get news that one of Jesus' close friends, Lazarus, is near death. And they're having a conversation about whether or not they can get to see Lazarus before he dies. And they remember that if they're going to get there on time, they're going to have to take a shortcut through a region where they had just visited. And when they were just in that region, they were almost killed. People threw stones at them and they had to flee for their lives. And so they're having this conversation about should we put ourselves at risk again to get to Lazarus before he passes away. And Thomas says... If Jesus is willing to die, we should be willing to die too. He shows a great act of courage and a willingness to put his own self at risk for the sake of accomplishing what Jesus wants to accomplish. Again, I don't think Thomas the Doubter is a fair nickname. Um, John chapter 14 may be a passage that some of you would be familiar with. Um, Jesus is explaining to his disciples before he ascends to the Father and gives them the Holy Spirit that he has a plan and he's laid out a way for all of these things to take place. And Thomas kind of just raises his hand and says, ah, I'm not sure that we know the way. And Jesus responds with those famous life-giving words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone wants to come to the Father, they must come through me. And again, I would argue that Thomas in that moment wasn't doubting. He was being thorough. Some of you have sat in a university class or a high school class or an elementary school class and the teachers talked about something and no one is quite sure what they're talking about or they've got some questions and you're not going to raise your hand, but there's someone who will. And they raise their hand and lots of other people go, oh, I'm glad they asked. I think Thomas is that person in this passage. Jesus is explaining something that is so hard for them to get their minds around. He's being thorough and wants clarity. But he gets stuck with the nickname Doubter from the passage that we're going to read. Now, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20, starting at verse 24. If you're using the Bible in the seats around you, it's on page 1686. It's the Gospel of John, one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. We're nearing the end of the story. Jesus has been resurrected and is now coming and kind of meeting with all of the disciples who've gone missing immediately after his resurrection. And the encounter we're going to look at today is with Thomas. John, or sorry, John chapter 20, starting at verse 24. Now, Thomas called Didymus because Thomas was a twin. So if you're a twin here today, Thomas was a twin as well. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Now, Thomas had faithfully followed Jesus in the, in the beginning. He'd been willing to undergo harm to himself in order to carry out Jesus' ministry. He was the brave one who asked the good questions that nobody else really wanted to ask. And then he saw the nails go through Jesus' hands. He saw the spear go into his side, and he saw Jesus die. 
and his time of following this rabbi was over. He'd followed Jesus to the end, and as that chapter came to a close, it appears to us that Thomas just kind of moved on. This chapter of my life is over, and he moves on. The week before, the newly resurrected Jesus had come to meet with the disciples. He'd come into the room. He breathed on them as we looked at last week and gave them the Holy Spirit, and they were revived. But Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't with them. So now it's a week later, and the disciples are together again. And this time, Thomas is there, and they share the news with him. They've seen the risen Lord. And Thomas hears them, but he says, unless I see it. Unless I actually get the opportunity to put my fingers into the holes where the nails had gone, I'm not going to believe. Which I'm going to argue today is actually a reasonable response. Let's be honest. The first disciples that we looked at last week who met with the resurrected Christ, they weren't eager to believe either. And we don't call them the doubters, but that's another story. In fact, I admire Thomas because maybe you are like Thomas and his personality resonates a little bit with yours. He wasn't going to get all wound up in all the emotions and all the Jesus hype, okay? Tell me the story, give me the information, and let me wrestle with it in my own heart of hearts. Just because everybody else is believing, Thomas is not going to believe. He needs to decide for himself. And maybe even as I read that phrase um, in the scriptures, you know, Thomas says, I will not believe unless it resonated with your own spiritual journey where you came to a crossroads in your journey of faith where you said, until I get some more information, until I understand the scriptures better, until I kind of hear some more about this, I'm not ready to believe either that there were some things that you needed to figure out for yourself. And I would encourage you today, that is a very healthy thing for all of us. And let's be honest, there's lots of reasons why people might not believe. There's those foundational facts that are the anchoring and the foundation of the Christian faith, that Jesus was the Son of God, that He was crucified and literally dead, and that He rose literally to new life again. And while there are facts that point us in that direction, it still requires faith to believe. And maybe for you or for people in your family or friends of yours, that's kind of a hang-up and they're trying to figure that out. Maybe you had childhood faith. You grew up going to Sunday school and you had kind of a, a child's version of faith. And then you went off to university and first year philosophy or first year biology could not, your faith could not sustain the weight of some of the questions that were being asked, and your faith did not survive. Or maybe you went through a difficult season in life, and life was really just unfair to you. And you thought the fact of a loving God who's there for us was difficult to believe. Or, and this is sadly way too common, maybe the reason you're struggling with Christian faith is because you've met Christians. (laughs) And as you've met a few Christians, you kind of thought to yourself, I'm not really interested in figuring out what it is that they believe. So if you are struggling or you have doubts, I get it. We get it. When we hear stories of people who have faith and who are struggling with faith, as you engage with them as a person of faith, I'd encourage you to take James's words to mind, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. 
And I think one of the things that's going on in our culture right now, and we hear about it a lot, is the deconstruction of people's faith. And if you've heard that, that phrase before, let me just give you a definition of it here so it'll help you kind of understand how we can best be helpful to people. A deconstructing faith is reevaluating and rethinking what we believe and leaving behind previously held beliefs, sometimes to the point of no longer identifying as Christian. And maybe you know people that this is their story. They're in this season right now. Well, I want to make a really, really important distinction today um, because I believe that a natural part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is examining what we believe and finding if there's any parts of it that need revisiting or growing in our understanding of who God is. That is a normal part of faith, and so we do that which is very different than just looking at our faith and finding that there's parts that need to be revisited so we abandon it. You see the difference? I think all of us at points in life are going to come to a place where we realize I need to think about this aspect of my faith more. And that can lead to growth in our faith and help us become more mature disciples of Jesus. Or it can lead us to a place where we maybe leave our faith behind, maybe publicly or maybe just privately. Maybe an image will help. Uh, this summer, we did a book club on the book, When Everything's on Fire, which was largely based around the theme of deconstruction. And they used a metaphor in it that I found helpful, and so let me share it with you. In the book, he says that each of us have what he called a theological house, a house that kind of represents what it is that we believe that over time, our faith is built by reading your Bible, attending worship services, and being in community. And that as you are walking with the Lord, whether you're aware of it or not, we are all constructing a theological house, a belief system about what we believe about God, faith, Jesus, creation, salvation, heaven, hell, the world, all of these things that are slowly being constructed over time. And that it is healthy for each and every one of us in chapters of our life to take a look at a room in our theological house and recognize it needs some renovating. It needs some upgrades. Not to be torn down, not to be burnt to the ground, not to be thrown out. In fact, I would argue with you today that doing that is a really important part of being a disciple of Jesus. And if you feel like a little fearful about that, then, then this is what you're saying. That the faith I grew, I grew up with, or the faith that I got the very first day I became a Christian, my views about God and everything were perfect and complete in and of themselves, and I need not ever rethink about them. Would anybody think that their very first day as being a Christian, they had a perfect and complete understanding of God and all things? I wouldn't. And so, therefore, we learn in fact, the word disciple means to be a student. We are apprentice of Jesus, and he is helping us as we learn to follow him well. Meaning that over time, our knowledge of the Lord grows. We need to respond with how we, it is that we believe. And maybe as you've grown in seasons in your life, you've realized there's seasons where you said, you know what? My faith is small. My view of God is small. And as I've walked with the Lord and heard stories and read the scriptures, 
my, my view of God needs to grow bigger. Maybe you've had your understanding of the church has had to grow. Maybe you thought the church exists to do what I want for me, to make me happy. And as you've walked with Jesus and read the scriptures and hopefully interacted with your local congregation, you realized my view of the church, it's too small. It needs to grow. Or maybe it's your understanding of the Bible. Maybe you saw the Bible as kind of this magical book that was written in heaven and given to us, and now somehow we interact with it, and you've had to realize that's not how the Bible came to be. Or maybe you thought, discovered, as I have in different chapters of my life, my faith was too local. It was too shaped by my own family and the church and the culture I grew up in. And as I've met other Christians from other parts of the world and heard their faith story and seen their faith and listened to it is, how it is that they've encountered God, I realized my faith needed to grow as well. So Jesus is constantly encouraging his followers to renovate the thinking and leave behind old ways, childish ways, Paul would even say, as we mature in our faith. And I want to encourage you today, especially if you have people in your family or friendship circle or kids of yours that are kind of in this season, that you would not do anything to discourage the questions that they're asking, but would create safe places for them to wrestle with them together so that they don't just throw their faith out. In fact, I would say this, whether someone abandons their faith or grows in their faith in this season of doubting or questioning is oftentimes determined by the response they get from you and I when they first express a doubt. So let's be the kind of people that create opportunities for faith to grow. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. We talked about the week before last week. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I'm going to show you uh, this great picture from the 1600s. I know it's a little gross. I apologize. Um, it's from the Baroque master Caravaggio. And um, he captures here what his title is, The Incredulity of St. Thomas. I don't think we use the word incredulous enough. It's a great word. But it, he kind of uses it to capture um, this passage of Scripture that we've been reading. And there's two things about this painting that just kind of have struck me as I've spent time looking at it. First is the eyes of the disciples. They are laser-focused on the wounds. All three of them, people assume maybe John and Peter are the other people in the, in the painting here. But they're absolutely laser-focused on Thomas's finger entering Jesus' side. But the second thing I love about this image is Jesus' hand on Thomas's hand, guiding him, helping him in his doubts. Jesus coming back for Thomas and meeting him in the rawness of this moment, in this kind of special reunion that they're having and guiding his hand to help him get the questions answered that he needs. I love about Thomas, he was open to learning more. I'm not going to believe unless, I mean, I'm, there's some things I need. If I get them, it will help me. And then Jesus comes and gives him the things that he needs. And even though Thomas wasn't there last week, 
Jesus comes back to see him. He comes back to find him. Thomas, who not only maybe had doubts about whether or not Jesus was resurrected, but Thomas, who maybe had doubts about, since I've been doubting, since I wasn't here last week when Jesus came back, since I wasn't here when Mary was here, since it seems I've been missing everything and I've been kind of on the margins, would Jesus care about somebody like me with my doubts and my questions? And we have this awkward reunion where Jesus comes and meets Peter or Thomas again and gives him the evidence that he's looking for. And now Thomas is faced with a decision. Let's keep reading in verse 28. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. And now these next words are for you and I today. But blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet believed. Jesus did many other things. This is John's commentary. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but they're written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John shows us here why is he capturing these stories of Jesus going looking for these missing disciples, the grieving ones, the fearful ones, and the doubting ones. Why? Because he wants you and I to read these stories and know that it's possible to have faith and to believe today. Remember, Thomas makes this claim, you are my Lord, my God. He makes this confession. This is not his first confession. When Jesus invited him to follow, Thomas agreed to do so in faith. And throughout that journey, experienced his faith growing. He was willing to have his life physically beaten up and maybe even killed on the account of Jesus. He was willing to ask questions, so he made sure he got the information correct. And then Jesus is crucified. And things change. And doubts enter in. And he goes through this season of just not being sure anymore. And then Jesus comes looking for him again and reaches out to him so that he might believe. And I wonder about you. These last few years have been difficult on people's faith. Some of you have experienced some of the greatest struggles and challenges that you've experienced in your life. Some of you have not been able to get together for worship or be in community together, so your faith has been kind of alone. And some of you would say it has withered on the vine. You've been dealing with extra levels of stress. And I wonder about you, the doubts that you might be carrying in your heart today as well. And if as we watch Peter make this renewed confession that Jesus is my Lord and my God, if something resonates in your heart, that today it's time to do the same thing. That in these last few weeks or months you've experienced, the Lord has been reaching out to you. He's been trying to encourage you. He's been speaking to you in some ways. And you have sensed that Jesus came looking for you too. And if today you would be so bold and brave like Thomas, again, to say, you are my Lord and you are my God. A confession of faith is central to being people of faith. It's at the core of who we are. We don't initiate faith, we respond to what God is doing to us. As we recognize his grace and mercy being extended to us again and again, we respond with a confession and say, you are my Lord, 
and you are my God. It's at the heart of this church. We are not just here doing nice things or trying to be nice people. At the heart of this church is that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Son of God. We believe he died and that he rose again and that we believe his life is living in us and through us so that we might be a blessing to other people. And so today we're going to meet actually at the communion table. And I'm going to give you an opportunity at the table for you to maybe make a confession in your hearts. Just to say, you know, Lord, it's been a rough few years, but today I am going to say to you, you are my Lord. You are my God, and I am going to follow you. I'm going to continue to be your disciple. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we thank you that you came looking for Thomas. That while maybe he was a living alone with his doubts, you remembered him. And you met him in a way that helped him fill in the gaps, have the pieces, get the information, have the experience of you that was required so that he could take his next step of faith. And Lord, today, as your disciples, many of whom have been through a challenging season and maybe we just aren't sure where our faith is today, may we experience you reaching out to us. And in this moment today, may we reclaim and reconfess that you are our Lord and that you are God. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.